just Pastor Harry, and I just want to share my heart with you. And I really want to start a new sermon series that is um, kind of an odd uh, sermon series. And you can go put the slide up there. We're entitling it, um, When God uh, Starts Dropping Dimes. Um, and uh, so this is, uh, <laughs> and this is not the, uh, the song, um, you know, the old classic John Wesley hymn. Um, this is uh, uh, based upon some experiences that, that I've had, and um, I shared those experiences about a year ago right now um, with you all uh, there when we were meeting at, at the Cinemark Theater. And it was interesting how God began sort of this weird phenomenon that um, I don't know how to explain it necessarily, but um, started showing up in the form of like dimes in several people's lives. And so um, this is kind of an odd sermon series, but it's been so impactful in me, in my life and in my wife's life, in our marriage, um, and in my journey even to Plant City Chapel. It's been such an impactful journey, uh, and dimes have a lot to do with it. And so I want to share that with you all. You can take it or leave it. Um, but I really do believe that it can be a way that God can speak to you. And um, I guess just to start off the sermon series today, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give a, a, a sort of preface to the rest of the sermon series, give some context to it, and then we'll start really uh, officially. We'll start next week um, about God dropping dimes. And um, when I say dropping dimes, I mean literal dimes, um, actual dimes. Um, I have absolutely no Bible for this. There's there, this is this is off the beaten path. And I understand that. But there was a time uh, in my life and uh, in, 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 in Rose's life um, when um, we had just uh, got married. Uh, we met online. For those of you that don't know, me and Ro met online back when it was creepy, and um, which creeped me out big time. And so I did, not, I did not actually want to meet her in real, real life. So we just talked. Um, over, you know, AOL Instant Messenger and Yahoo Mail for, um, for about three years. Um, she was interested in me, um, but I was not interested in her. And so she kind of, it's true, it's true. She kind of picked that up right away and sort of backed off. And um, I was just freaked out with the idea of actually, you know, meeting somebody. That, but we, we, we would talk, and what was neat is she was a preacher uh, in Colorado at the time, and I, I've been a preacher since I was 12. So we would mostly literally talk about Bible. We'd talk about, well, I'm preaching on this, and there's this scripture. What do you think about that? And we just kind of went back and forth for a few years. And then um, one day, uh, uh, I, had, I started working for a traveling ministry, and um, um, Ro is a counselor and a therapist, and so she said that in my emails that I was acting kind of sad, was it, that I seemed down, I seemed sad. And so she responded like with her phone number and said, you know, if you want to call me sometime, you know, you know, um, I can give you some therapy, I guess, is what she's thinking, that's what she says, but, you know. Um, anyway, so I, I said, okay, well, uh, I gave her a call, and um, um, I, I, I thought the first conversation went, went really well. Um, she tells me that it was terrible, and she didn't, she didn't want to call me back. Apparently, I just talked about myself the whole time. I thought it was funny and very interesting, but I, I just talked about myself the whole time. That's what preachers, you get used to this. This is, this is normal, right? So you guys all sit there and listen, and I'll just, I'll just go for hours. 
And so we talked, and I thought it was great, and so I called her back, right? And apparently I did something, maybe I asked something about you. Um, you know, in that next conversation that, that made her think that, oh, maybe he's all right. So we started talking on the phone, and, uh, you know, we were a long-distance relationship, and um, uh, we just started talking, you know, multiple hours every night, and really started to get serious, and, we, and then we had the talk that, hey, I think maybe I'm interested in you, and this is really weird, but yeah, I think maybe I'm interested in you too. And so uh, I was a part of a traveling ministry, and so um, I was going to be in Denver for uh, a week, and so she drove down, and actually I stood her up because um, I forgot that we were supposed to be. Anyway, it was that's a whole other story. It was a it was a bad it was a bad thing. So I you know I thought well I guess I'm not going to see her again. Um, but you know turns out like I was able to talk to her while she was waiting on the curb for her friend to pick her up. And, it's a sad story. Um, but we ended up uh, talking again, and then she ended up visiting me in Louisiana, where, I, that, where we were based, where my, my ministry was based, and I was traveling with this, this traveling preacher. And um, she visited Louisiana, and actually she was offered a job by, by, um, by my boss. And, um, and when she visited, we really just connected, and um, it was just the fireworks started going. And so we said, yeah, we definitely want to see if this would work. And so we dated for uh, about 10 months. And then, and then we were engaged for six weeks, and then we got married. Um, and so uh, right um, the, the very day that I proposed to her and she accepted, the next day I turned our resignation into my boss and said, I'm sorry, I can't be married to you and her at the same time. Um, and I'm not really called to a traveling ministry. I mean, this is fun and all, but I'm called to be a part of a local church. And so, and so, you know, uh, Tommy was, was my boss, and he was like, well, you know, we could start a church right here. You could be the pastor, and, you know, I'll give you the money for it. No, I just don't, I don't feel ready for that. And so he said, well, where would you like to go? And I said, well, there's this great church in North Atlanta, near the Buckhead region of Atlanta. Um, beautiful area. Uh, it's called Free Chapel. Pastor Jensen Franklin, about 10,000 people. Um, my friend was the, was the children's pastor there, and I said, I'd love to go there. So my boss called up Jensen and just bragged on me for 15 minutes, which is really rare. Uh, he never told me I did a good job. And so, you know, I was like, wow. And so Jensen called me up and said, uh, Harry, I want to hire you. Just come tell me what you want to do. We'll make a job for you. And so I thought it, we were set. I thought we were all good. We're good to go. And uh, we, we, we go off to Colorado. We get married. We have like $1,000 in our, in our bank account. And we start driving around the country. There are a few other places that wanted to interview me, but really I was going to Atlanta. So we go to Atlanta. I meet with um, the folks there at Atlanta. This is what I'd like to do. And they say, okay, well, the, uh, let's, let's create a job for you. And so they call me back in a week. They have a job. They have a salary. And we don't have any peace about moving there. And I don't know if any of you have ever been there before, but where everything works out just the way that you wanted it to work out, but it doesn't quite feel the way you thought that it would feel. <laughs> like like all this all this stuff's falling into place. This is the perfect church. Ten thousand people. I'll be I'll, I was going to be uh, uh, the head of their new Bible college they were starting. I was going to be over like a, like a, a ten small groups, a hundred different leaders. And um, this is perfect. I'll, I'll be there for a few years, and then I'll launch a church from there, right? This is just the perfect opportunity. And it was lining up perfectly, but it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel like that's what God wanted us to do. The salary was there. The, the opportunities were there, but I just didn't feel that that's what God did. Both of us felt like, ah, that doesn't feel like that's what God wants us to do. And so we began driving even further. We drove down to Florida, visited a friend there. No, God doesn't want us there. We drove back to Louisiana. God definitely does not want us in Louisiana. Uh, sorry to all of you from Louisiana, but um, you're not there anymore, are you? So 
And so we, we went on right on through to Texas, and uh, I had a friend in, in Canyon Lake, and I thought maybe that's where God was calling us, and no, we just didn't feel any peace about that. We had the final stop, we had $160 in our bank account, and we drove, drove up to Nashville. There was a pastor there who couldn't pay us anything, but he, he had just started two years prior, and he was meeting in the YMCA where you get to set up and tear down every Sunday. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And um, he had about 200 people in his church, and he said, we'd love to have you. We can't pay you anything. We'd love to have you. And, um, and so we had 160 bucks left, and so we decided to spend $60 on, on a hotel that night, on Saturday night, and go to church on Sunday, then use the 100 for gas to drive back to my parents' house in Michigan. And so we pull in, and it was the weirdest thing. Like, we drove into uh, Franklin, Tennessee. We stopped at a grocery store for Roe to go in and get some, some food. And just sitting there, it's like, boom, I just felt the peace of God. And I was like... Lord, is this where we're supposed to be? And I don't know if, 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 if any of you have been wondering and wondering about what God wants you to do and what God's will is and what, what His will is in different situations, but when you finally feel that, when you finally have that confirmation, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And so, I, so Ro comes in from the grocery store and I'm like, do you feel kind of, like, does this feel kind of different to you? And she said, yeah, you know, this feels like maybe this is where we're supposed to be. So, so we go to church the next morning, not knowing what to expect. A friend of mine is there who I hadn't seen in forever. And so he's like, hey, Harry, how's it going? He's not even from around there. And I'm like, John, what are you doing here? And he said, well, let's go out to eat afterward. And I'm like, are you buying? Because I don't have money. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, and so we went to PF Chang's. Luckily, he was buying. And uh, there was like 20 people, though. We never even got a chance to talk to John. We sat across the table from, from uh, some lovely people, um, uh, Dawn and JT. There's, there's always been a JT in my life. Yeah. And, um, and they were super talkative. They, were, they went to the church. They lived right there in Franklin. It had this massive house. And they got asking us, well, what are you doing? Well, we feel kind of called to this place. We don't know how it's going to work out. They're like, well, you ought to stay with us. And Rose like, yeah, that sounds great. And I'm like kicking her under the table. You know, we don't know these people, you know. They can have ten chopped up bodies in their basement, you know, of people. Oh, stay with us. I mean, you know, axe murderers don't look like axe murderers. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a perfect case for, you know, we don't know. And But Rose was like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so we stayed there with him that night. And we ended up staying with him for two weeks. He was a... He was a mortgage broker, so he found us. Uh, 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 he found us a house and got us a mortgage. Uh, we we bought the foreclosure within two weeks. Like we, the, everything just started racing into place, and it was like this is confirmation. This is where God wants us to be, and and so there we were. Uh, we still didn't have a job because um, I've only ever been like a minister. I've never done anything else. So I've never gone to McDonald's and, and flipped burgers. But I was like, well, we got to pay for our living, and Roe couldn't work. Um, because she didn't have her green card, um, so she was volunteering at this at, at, at this forest barn just just to fill her days, and um, and then I was trying to figure out, I was trying to get a job, and so for a few months that was us just twiddling our thumbs, staring at each other like, what are we doing here? Like we thought we were coming here to minister. It turns out that the pastor of the church that we were going to was really really bad delegator, so um, he didn't know how to like let me do things, so. You know, he's a wonderful worship leader, um, but he just so Sunday was amazing. But he would call me over to his house and ask him like to go through his wardrobe and tell him what was in style and what wasn't. And I was like, uh, four years of Bible college, a whole bunch of preaching experience. I'm just gonna like look at your Armani suits and tell you which one's closer to in 
and you can't throw out our money anyway. So you, you got to keep them all, you know. And so I was that, that was it was so frustrating for me because I was so used to being productive and ministering and preaching and and and, and reaching out, and then I'm um, I'm going through the guy's wardrobe, you know. And it was a difficult, difficult time. And so um, a friend of mine. A friend of mine had told me about how he had been finding dove feathers like throughout his house. Like God was just raining dove feathers, which is so biblical, you know, the, the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove. And I said, Lord, how come I can't have something like that? Like, you know, like I've been serving you. I want to do your will. You know, am I in the right place? I thought I was in the right place. But now I, we're just staring at each other, me and Ro. We watch more movies than I watch in my whole lifetime, you know. And uh, this is back with the, the, the red box. You get the movie. And, and so... Um, of course, now I'd kind of like to go back to that every once in a while. We didn't have any kids. It was just us. We were just watching movies together all day. But it was so like like boring and like unfulfilling. This is not what I was created for. This is a waste of my time. I'm spinning my wheels. Lord, am I where you want me to be? Because Jensen's got a job for me, and that church has got a job for me, and that guy. Like, I could go all these places, but I felt like you called me to go here. And so I said, Lord, I need some kind of sign, you know. And I, and I know you can go overboard with that. You can demand signs, and God's not always going to give a sign. Um, but I said, Lord, a sign would really help. And so, like, that next day, I, I wake up, and I, and, and I went out to our counter, which was always clean in those days, um, because we didn't have kids. <laughs> and so, uh, there was, there's a dime on the counter. And I'm like, well, that's, that's odd. I guess Roe left the dime there, so I put it in my pocket. Um, I go to Walmart, you know, to get a little bit of groceries, pull in, open my door. They're on the ground is a dime, like a single, not like two dimes or a dime and a penny or like somebody's change fell out, but just a single dime right there as I open my door and I'm like, oh, I'm 20 cents richer today. That's great. And so I put that in my pocket and, and throughout the next couple of days, I start finding a lot of dimes and my pocket's getting a little fuller and I'm thinking, this is kind of strange. And then Ro mentions to me that she was cleaning out the closet right in the middle of the closet floor, the walk-in closet was this, was this dime. And uh, I, I said, well, I have, you know, four dimes. How many do you got? And she had like three. And I said, well, this is got seven dimes over the last few days. Like, what's going on here? And so uh, it really hit me like a couple days later when, when, when I woke up and we were making the bed. Um, I used to make my bed back in that day, too. Um, and uh, we, were, we were making the bed. And uh, I pulled my pillow back. And underneath my pillow was a dime. And I'm like, now that's just weird. Like, well, how did a dime get under my, my pillow? And that's when I began thinking, like, Lord, is this some kind of sign? Are you trying to speak to me? And so I, I just prayerfully went about my day, and I began finding more dimes. And Rose said, well, let's get all the dimes together. Let's just collect them. And so I, every time I found a dime, I'd hand it to her, and she, she filled up this, this bag. We had this, we had this um, camera, I think camera bag. And so she filled up this bag with, with all the dimes we found within, like, the next few weeks. And I'm like, this is definitely not normal. This is nice, because it was never like a dime and some other piece of change. It was always just a single dime. And so I said, Lord, like, what are you trying to say to me? And so that is really what, what, what this sermon series is about. I believe that God wants to speak to us. And I believe that God is not limited to conventional means. I believe that God can use random things in order to speak to us because he wants to speak to us. And so often I think we treat the will of God like it's like, you know, it's like we lost our keys. I'm just trying to find God's will. 
So, you know, stick your hand on the cushion, slip over the couch, you know, try to figure out, honey, have you seen God's will anywhere? We're looking for it. Then, Micah, did you have God's will the other day? I'm pretty sure you grabbed it off the counter. Let's see. You know, oh, yeah, he was playing with it out there. He's pretending to drive his Jeep with God's will. That's great. Okay. So we're trying to find the keys. We're trying to find God's will. It's like we had it. We saw it at one time. We felt kind of like we were there at one time. But now we definitely don't feel like we're in the right place. And so and so we got to find God's will. And I would almost think that God's hidden it from us. Like he's he stashed it away somewhere. And it's like this hide and seek game where he just enjoys watching his people sweat bullets and, and try to find his will. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think you're going to find that in scripture. I don't think that's the heart of God. I think God's heart is he wants to assure us of his will. And especially if we desire to walk in his will, he wants us to know his will. And for me, that's what the dime thing was. Uh, I would see a dime and I would feel, I would feel like, I would feel like God knew where I was. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like he knew I was going to pull into that parking space. He knew I was going to walk into that door. I remember when we were getting ready to plant the church, um, I was talking to Evie, and uh, Evie and I were walking into Walmart, and the doors opened, and there were two dimes right there in the entrance. And I said, oh, hey, here's one for you. Here's one for me. Um, uh, after our house flooded, there was, there, was, there was all sorts of damage to our house this time last year, and a lot of people came over to help us, and um, uh, we were finding a lot of dimes during that season. Um, because, you know, when your house flood, you get two and a half feet of water in your house and everything's destroyed. And then you're trying to figure out how to rebuild when your house is, is like literally almost on a pond. Um, it's kind of it's kind of intimidating. And you say, well, God, you know, are we supposed to move here? Are we doing the right thing? And we began finding a, a lot of dimes. We were telling a couple actually about this dime thing. They were helping us out there. And we were standing around in a circle. And then we just heard this little ding, 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 ding. And a dime like dropped like... You can believe it or not, but it dropped out of thin air onto the ground in the middle of us. And uh, they were kind of freaked out. We haven't talked to them much since then. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you all, because I trust you, uh, you know, because it's like, it is a little strange. It is a little odd. It's like, this is not like this. I, and I'm a big biblical guy. I need to see it in Scripture. Like, where are dimes in Scripture? Well, there's no American dimes in Scripture. So I'm kind of of a Greek without a battle with that. But all I know is that, to me, it feels like God wants me to know that he knows where I'm at. That he knows exactly where I'm at. And it's not always confirmation that I'm in the right place, but he knows where I'm at. He sees me. There's a passage that I would like to read to you from Genesis chapter 16, and this is another story of God seeing somebody and then making that evident, making that clear. In Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord uh, has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Uh, perhaps I shall obtain children um, by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, uh, this, to a North, uh, 21st century North American mind, this feels wrong. And it would be wrong nowadays. <laughs> but this is pre-law. This is before uh, Mount Sinai. This is before God gave his commandments. And this was a, a, a custom in those days that was okay. It was okay because they saw slaves as property. So, um, so when, when Sarai offers her slave girl, she, she's not offering an adulterous relationship. She is offering her property 
to be able to bear a child um, in her place. And so uh, culturally, this is accepted. Nowadays, this would, so don't get any ideas. Um, <laughs> then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, uh, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And after Abram had um, dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw um, that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, her mistress became despised in her eyes. It's, 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 it's interesting when, when somebody who's, who's supposed to be under authority uh, becomes pregnant and becomes able to do something that the person in authority could not do. Then that person who's supposed to be under authority starts looking at the authority as incapable. Well, Sarah is not able to bear children. I'm able to bear children. And you always have to be careful. You always have to be careful that you don't value what you're able to bring to the table more than where God has put you at the table. It's always important. Uh, God says in Proverbs that God hates a servant who despises their master because it's an inversion of his order. God hates it when children are disobedient to parents because it's an inversion. It's an upside down of his divine order of authority. And his order of authority is meant to help us understand him. And so, and so when Hagar despises or, 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 or takes Sarai lightly or dismisses her authority over her life because, you know what, she's able to bear children and Sarai is not. This is not a good thing. She despises Sarai. And so Sarai becomes angry and she says, my wrong be upon you to her husband. Typical husband and wife talk. Um, basically, she's saying... Basic, don't, don't, don't look anywhere. Just keep looking this way. <laughs> Basically, she's saying, look, I, 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 this wrong that's coming upon me is, is rooted in you. Because some, somewhere along the line, my servant forgot she was a servant and thought she was my equal. And so this is obviously, you, you, like, like now it's gone beyond just simply um, she is, she is a, a surrogate and she's you know, providing a child for us to now she believes she's in a special relationship with you that's greater than a relationship than your relationship with me. And she says, so, so this wrong that's come upon me is because of you. You have to do something about this. I gave my maid into your embrace and when she saw that she conceived, um, she began to despise me in her eyes. So the Lord will judge between you and me. Abram, in verse 6, says to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. So do with her as you please. In other words, Abram is saying, Look, there's, there's nothing uh, other than what we discussed between us. Um, she is still your maid. And when Sarai dealt help harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. She wasn't quite sure, but she was on her way there. Um, the actual um, geography would mean that she traveled about 40 or 50 miles through the desert. There's a spring that's halfway between where she was and where she was going. She was going to Shur, which is the border of Egypt. She's an Egyptian. She's going home. She's on that road. And the Lord appears to her when she's there uh, on the way to Shur. It says... Says to her, Hagar, Sarah's maid. <laughs> I like that title. Hey, Hagar, 
Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, well, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. This is so interesting. Uh, so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. You will bear a son. You will call his name Ishmael, which means the Lord hears. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he will dwell in the presence of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she says, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer, uh, Beer Lahai Roi. I think I pronounced that right. Beer Lahai Roi. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. In other words, it's smack in the middle of where she was going. Bayer Lahai Roi. Bayer means well or pit. Lahai uh, means um, uh, uh, the, the man who, who is. And Roi means who shows himself. And it's actually a double meaning. It's who sees is one meaning. That God is and he sees me. But it's also that God is and he has allowed me to see him. It's the same as both meanings. It's both to, to see and to reveal something. And that's what I believe that God has for each and every one of us. I believe that God, number one, that God sees you wherever you're at. That God sees you in your struggle. That God sees you in your adversity. That God sees you in your trials. Yeah. God sees you in your sin. God sees you in your temptation. God sees you in your righteousness. God sees you on your good days and on your bad days. God sees. And that's true all of your life and all of my life, ever since you were born and even before you were born. Your unformed substance was seen by God. This is, this is just a fact. There's nothing you can do to change that or adjust that. And, and, and honestly, this fact doesn't necessarily impact us. This fact doesn't necessarily change us. This fact doesn't necessarily do anything for our lives. It's not until we see the God who sees us that things begin to change. For Hagar, she packs up and she goes back uh, to her to her mistress, to her, her 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 Lord, to the one who is in charge of her. But there's a there's an awful uh, uh, impact that happens. When we start to see the one who sees us, and I believe the one who sees us wants to be seen by us. And I know dimes are weird, and some of you are looking at me sideways because you're like, I don't know about this old dime thing. Um, <laughs> but whenever God appears to you, however God appears to you, maybe it's an angel by a, by a well, which is also kind of weird when you think about it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a burning bush, which is strange and nowhere else in Scripture. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a golden snake that somebody molds and puts up for you to look at. Maybe there's so many ways in which God has allowed people to see Him. 
Obviously, the fullest way is Jesus Christ. He came in the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and, and, and he allowed us to see God perfectly. But, but all along the way, God has been trying to get people to see him. God has been trying to get people to recognize him. God has been trying to get to reveal himself to people. And, and even in this generation, I believe that God wants to reveal himself to us. And so we believe in the supernatural. We believe in the slight, slightly unconventional. And, and we believe that God can reveal himself to us, yes, even through dimes. And for me, whenever I saw the dime, what I felt was like God was saying, I see you and I know where you're at. I see you and I know where you're at. Uh, I'd, I'd like to go to Psalm 139. This is a, a popular psalm, but I think it speaks so much um, to what I'm talking about. This is how... Um, David described uh, this idea of God seeing him and God knowing him. He says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar off. He doesn't just see your outside. He sees your inside. He understands your very thoughts. You, you, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. In other words, you have set yourself up in front of me and you have set yourself up behind me. There's no area of my life, there's no, there's no angle uh, of my life that you are not uh, watching constantly, consistently. It's not just the, the, the filtered selfie that I put for everybody else to see, but, but God sees all angles. He sees the front and, and from behind. He sees, he sees every angle of my life. You've hedged me in behind before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will fall on me, even the night will become light around me. Indeed, darkness cannot hide from you, but the night shines as the daylight. The darkness and the night are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb, and so I will praise you, because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. I was skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book all were written the days that were fashioned for me, when yet there was not any of them. How precious. How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand on the seashore. When I awake, I am still with you. How precious are your thoughts to me. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. What's interesting about that is if you were somehow to be able to go count the sand, Every single, you know, piece, you got some kind of machine and you gathered up all the sand along every continent in the world and you counted up every single bit of sand. By the time you were done counting, you would have to go back because the erosion and the beating waves would have created more sand. 
you try to count the thoughts that God has toward you and toward me, it's like counting the sand. Even if it were possible, by the time you arrive there, he's thinking more thoughts for you. He's creating thoughts currently right now. In the, in the, in the movement, momentum of his, of his mind. But I love this next verse, and this is just to wake you up. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. <laughs> Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O oh Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. It seems strange when, when David is just you know reminiscing about the wonderful love of God holding him and thoughts toward him and how beautiful all of that is. He breaks out in this violent cry. God, kill those guys. Take them out. And this is just to disturb your American sensibilities. <laughs> because... Because with every bit of love that comes into life, there is an equal amount of hate. You cannot be enveloped in this just warm, fuzzy love of God without experiencing the hatred that God has for those things that rise up against Him. And that's why this angel's proclamation to Hagar, I think, is so significant. Because he does say, Hagar, I see you, and I know you. And that's what a dime has always meant to me. Every time I see it, it's like God's smiling at me, saying, Harry, I see you. But a dime is also worth ten cents. And ten in Scripture is the number of divine order or divine commandments. When God gave uh, Moses, you know, main commands, he gave him like 360-some. But then he gave them ten primary commands that were engraved into stone. And so 10 is the number of God's divine directive for life. And so whenever God is appearing to me and showing me, he's not just simply approving of me, but he's also commanding me to do something. And this is where I, I think we often fall short. We'll spend entire sermons about how God thinks about us and loves us and people will start nodding off. And, and, and it's important then to get to the bloodthirsty part. It's important that you get to the hate part. It's important that you get to the let's go destroy those rebels part. Because that's just as much the message of the angel to Hagar. He says, look, God sees you, God knows you, and God wants you to go back. God is confronting your journey. You're headed this direction. I'm telling you, you've got to go back that direction. And this is just as much a part of the, of the infinite love of God. This is just as much a part of the, 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 the blessed assurance, right? The old hymn, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Uh, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? But we often skip the second verse, which says, perfect submission. All is at rest. I am my Savior, am happy and blessed. That's the way hymns were typically constructed. The first verse is all about the main theme. The second verse is how you get there. And so the second verse says perfect submission. This is how you get to blessed assurance. This is how you see a dime and you sense the assurance of God. So, so dimes cannot simply be, oh, hey, I was thinking about moving to that town. And then I walked in and there was a dime. So I guess I should probably move to that town. Well, not necessarily. It's also a reminder that you need to be obedient to the voice of God in your life. And the voice of God doesn't just speak to you about where you should move and what school you should go to and who you should date and who you should marry. The voice of God speaks to you about who you should be. 
And he says to Hagar, God's got wonderful plans for you. It's going to be awesome. He sees you. He's going to bless your kid. But you need to go back. And I think oftentimes we just preach that God's got wonderful plans for you. He's going to bless you. It's going to be wonderful. We don't tell people that it's only going to come when they go back. There's some enemies that God wants to slay in your life. There's some things, there's some things speaking out against the will of God in your life. You cannot simply, you know, I don't simply want to encourage us to look for signs for what God wants us to do and live however we want to live. The life that we live has to be in submission to the voice of God. And anything that would rise up against that, like David said, I hate what what you hate. I hate what rises up against you in my life. when, When you're calling me to go back, I hate that thing inside of me that wants to go on to Egypt. I hate that thing that that doesn't want to submit to my authority. I hate that thing that stands up for myself and stands up for my rights and stands up for for what I think and needs to be heard and needs to be recognized and needs to be patted on the back. I hate that sense of pride and selfishness and arrogance that's in my heart. And honestly, if 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 we hated our carnality half as much half as much as we hate our conflicts, we'd be twice as spiritual. If we, if we hated those things, because often we hate trials, we hate, we hate things that are uncomfortable. And fair enough, it's not fun. But the real danger in life is not that you would be, live uncomfortable, it's not that you would live disappointed, it's not that you would live with sorrow. The real danger in life is that you would succumb to temptation. That thing which James chapter 1 talks about that would pull us away from God, pull us away from where we're supposed to be. And you'll never realize the promises until you go back. And so that's, that's my second point of the message. God wants to speak to you. God wants you to know that He sees you, that He's with you. But the blessings are when you go back. The blessings are not at the well. The blessings are not where you were going. The blessings are when you go back and say, how do I go back? Well, you just walk the same path that you took to go away. You go back. I find it interesting. Um, our generation doesn't really value going back very much. We always want to go forward. We always want to know what's next. We always want to know what, what's new. What's wonderful plans that he has for me and all that kind of stuff. And it's good. But 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 you dial back the clock 100 years. And I've always been a student of, 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 of revival, right? I've always been a student of moves of God. And it's, it's so fascinating because a hundred years ago when they talked about moves of God, when they talked about revival, they talked about people going back. That's what they talked about. Uh, there was one guy, I forget his name, I was just reading just the other, uh, just last week I was reading about this preacher. Um, they built a shed. Um, he was, it was like in world, during World War I, he was, he was preaching and a lot of um, factory workers were getting saved. And so they built a shed, like a barn type shed. Um, and they named it after him. I think his last name was like Davidson or something. So they named it whatever the, the Davidson shed because people, factory workers that were getting saved, they had over the years stolen some stuff from the factories. I don't know if you have ever done this before, so you know you're, you're totally safe. But they had kind of here and there taken a tape measure, taken a tool, taken things, and 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 as they they as they as they got saved, God was convicting them that they needed to go back. They didn't know where the tools went to. They had stolen them over the years, but they simply knew that they weren't theirs. And so they, they built a shed called the Davidson Shed and just brought the tools to the shed. And they filled up the shed with a bunch of stolen stuff that they didn't know who to give it to, but they knew that they had to go back. And I 
thought, man, that's so different from our revivals nowadays. It's like nowadays we call it revival when, like, you know, fillings turn into gold, you know. And, um, and, and not that that's wrong, because dimes and gold fillings are hey, whatever. Uh, but where's, where's your shed? Where's our shed? Where's this generation's shed? Where's the proof of our repentance? Where have we gone back? Where's the stuff that we've stolen and then we couldn't, couldn't return it to that person because that person is dead, so we just donated to charity? Where's the money that we ripped off of the government and we couldn't give it back, so we just gave it to someone? Where's our sheds? Where's the, the evidence that we have returned from where we have come? Where's the movement? Where's the, where's the obvious change and shift in our lives? Other than, you know, coming to church and, and, and singing and doing, doing some religious things like that. It's like we're often chasing for experiences, but the greatest experience doesn't happen in a church building. It happens when you start filling up a shed. Like there ought to be Facebook posts from people that were, were cussing people out on Facebook. They go back to Facebook and apologize to the people that they cussed out on Facebook. No amens for that, but it's all good. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, like you can't, like, an apology is not, well, I'm really sorry, but you did worse things, so, you know. What? That's not a shed. You haven't gone back. You haven't walked the road back all the way. You haven't made it right with everybody. You haven't reconciled with people. You've, you've moved on. You say, well, I'm just, Lord, forgive me for all of that. I'm just going on this way. I mean, really, like, 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 like ex-spouses ought to be repenting to ex-spouses. People ought to be coming into submission to the word of God in their life. If God is moving in your life, you'll get more than a gold filling. You will build a shed and take your stuff back. And you walk back. And I, I, I've, I've known people that have got gold fillings, and they've showed me. And it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, gold fillings. But it's like, where's the fruit of repentance? Where's the shed? Have you gone back? Or have you just taken the dime and said, oh, God likes me, and stuck it in your pocket and disregarded the, the ten or the order, the, the directives of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because if all you get is that God sees you, then you're never going to get the blessing that God has for you. And then you're going to wonder, well, God promised me that, and that never worked out. Yeah, that's because you didn't go back. The blessing is back there. The blessing is, is under authority. The blessing is when you repent or you turn around and go back from what you were doing. Change course. In 1904, Welsh Revival, uh, the revival that just spread through uh, Wales from September of 1904 to like January of 1905, the primary preacher in the Welsh Revival was a guy by the name of Evan Roberts. He's 26 years old. He was a, he was a minor. That was the primary occupation of people in Wales. And uh, he began preaching. And so as a preacher, he would go back to the mines. And he would wait for lunch hour when the miners would come up out of the mines with their with their donkeys and their carts and, 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 and their lunch pails. And they would sit out in the sun and eat their lunch. And Evan would preach to them. They had a captive audience. And miners are kind of tough folks. Like, you got to grow up quick to go into the mines, and it's a tough life. And, 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 and he would preach Jesus to them, and they would get saved. And this caused a national problem. This caused a national problem because the primary economic engine of Wales at that time was mining. And the primary tool for mining was donkeys. And when the miners got saved, the donkeys stopped being able to understand the commands. 
Because all of their life they had been trained to respond to abuse, they had been trained to respond to anger, they had been trained to respond to cussing, they had been trained to respond to, to those kinds of things. And now the miners are getting saved. And so they're not cussing them out, they're not abusing them, and they're not angry all the time. And so they had donkeys who didn't know, should we turn left, should we turn right, should we carry this stuff, is it time to go? And so the, the, the mining industry created brand new schools to retrain donkeys to be able to respond to Christian miners. Because <laughs> they said, these donkeys don't know how to respond to Christian miners. Let me tell you something, you know it's real if a dumb donkey can tell the difference. Like, you don't have to get a bumper sticker, honk if you love Jesus. You don't have to get a, a t-shirt that says that you went to that Hillsong concert. You, like, you, you, you just know that it's real if a donkey can tell the difference. And I guess that's just what I'm asking. Like, where are the donkeys in our generation that rise up and say, hey, he changed. He's way different. I used to know him last week, all right? I knew him. And, man, he's different. This is the roots. Last... Uh, last week I talked about the seed and the word of God and how it, how it springs. It goes into a soil and there's some soil where it rises up quickly. And you see this in Bible college and you see this. Uh, uh, Dallas and I were talking about this. There's this big Bible college up in, Dal up in Dallas. It's very charismatic. A lot of worship people. A lot of people really spiritual. And they come, kids come on fire for God. And then two years later they don't even like God anymore. They don't even want anything to do with God or Jesus. They're completely burned out. It's like, what's going on? Well, this is just, it's just simply they didn't have any roots. They started growing based on experiences, but they never put it, they grew up based on experiences. They never put anything down. And the reason they couldn't put anything down is because they had all these rocks in their heart, rocks in their soil. They had places in their heart they wouldn't let God turn them around. And they said, no, I'm not going to give him my sexuality. No, I'm not going to give him my bitterness. I'm not going to give him my right to complain about that person or that person or gossip about this person. I'm not going to give him that. I just want to have this great experience with God. And so they had some great experiences. But Jesus said that those kind of folks, as soon as the sun comes out, like it's not even a monsoon or a tornado or a flood. It's just every day. As soon as you get out of Bible college, you've got to worry about J.C. Penney's. Like it's just everyday life. The sun took them out because they didn't have any roots. Well, if the upward growth is the experiences, which are good, which are important, the roots is the daily devotion. It's the turning around. We can never allow our upward growth to get greater than our downward roots. Or we'll never experience the promise of fruit in our lives. We'll just have this tree that doesn't last in just simple old daylight. Everyday life takes us out. Our kids and our marriages take us out. Stuff that are normal, stuff that are everyday, mundane. Now, I didn't even suffer a great tragedy. We just stopped loving each other. We just grew apart. We just, and it's just everyday life just takes us out. Because we don't have the roots of devotion to turn back. And so as you're praying for God's will, as you're looking for God's will, let me just encourage you. To stop looking around for it like it's lost keys. And just go back to what you know God's called you to do. Go back and make things right. Make things right with people that you've wronged. Make things right uh, in, in, in your own mind, in your own private life. If you're doing things you know you ought not to be doing, stop doing them. <laughs> super, super deep preaching, this is what this is. 
if, if, you're, if, you're, if, if you're doing things that you're not sure if it's right or wrong, just stop doing it. Go back. Turn around. Turn around. Go, go back to the last place you heard God. Go back to the last place when you were under authority. Go back to the last place when you were being obedient. And do that again. Walk in that again. If you haven't lost any time, that God cannot restore with the journey back. If you bow your heads and pray with me, I just want to offer to you today the opportunity to begin that journey back by putting your faith in Jesus and renouncing your sin and say, I'm turning away from doing life my way. I've been on the way to Egypt and I want to go back to where God wants me to be. And if that's you today, would you raise your hand?